Kipping pull-ups and kipping chest bar. Why are you doing them? I don't think people actually ask that question. I really don't. I think they see other people doing it in their gym or they scroll through their Instagram feed and they think they need to do that. What you need to understand is those people are optimizing and finding a way to as easily as possible meet a standard, aka sports performance. That's the goal for them. If they can do something that makes them get through that workout quicker and still meet the standard and they can get done faster than everybody else, then they win. That's the whole idea. It's It's a sport. It's not for health. It's not for general fitness, and I don't buy the whole idea of, oh yeah, well, you're doing more work in less time, so it's like the intensity thing. No, I think I truly think that's BS. I think you should question anyone who does 100 or 150 kipping pull-ups in like a rounds for time sort of environment and labels that as healthy. I really don't think that that's a good perspective at all. I do think it's possible to have maybe select doses for an athlete who has the prerequisite strength, mobility, and technique in like a sub-maximal environment. But how often does that really happen? People are like, yes, I'm doing this so I can learn better shapes and learn core to extremity movement and like those sorts of things. So like, no, like my friends are doing it and I see other people do it, so I want to do it too. Truthfully though, it doesn't really matter what I think because people, including myself, are going to keep doing them either way. So I guess if you can't beat them, educate them. And today, that's what I hope to do for chest-to-bar pull-ups. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. The Fitness Movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training-related content to people just like you. The site features in-depth articles, movement breakdowns, and our online training program, The Protocol. And I offer one-on-one remote coaching for fitness athletes. So I hope you check it out. Head over to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. See you there. And we're back to my rant on chest bar pull-ups. So I think the first question we got to ask is why chest bar? Where did those come from? Because just like every other kind of standardized movement out there, it had to come from somewhere. At some point, someone invented a back squat or a front squat or a clean or any of these movements. So it's the same thing with chest bar. And really, it kind of came at birth from the fact that we're now doing online qualifiers in the sport of fitness. So in 2011, the Open started. That was when we saw Chestabar. They might have been around before that. I actually don't know. Uh, But really, at that point, it's like you have all these basically judges in all the gyms around the country and around the world, and they all have to be able to say that was a rep and this was not a rep, and they have to be able to do that with ease because people don't like giving their friends no reps. (laughs) Again, I think the most important thing is it's really easy to say, yes, you touched your chest, so that's a rep. Check. Looks good. Oh, nope, that one didn't touch. Sorry, no rep. Versus a chin over bar, especially if you're doing a butterfly kip where you actually reach kind of the apex height of your pull-up when you're like maybe 12 inches behind the bar. And especially if you're kind of off to the side at a kind of a weird angle, it's really hard to actually tell as someone's chin made it over the bar. Is it in line with the bar technically over? Is over like by like at least an inch over? Like what is over? It's kind of like gets really gray and it's hard to actually tell. So it's just a bar just makes it really easy kind of across the board. Okay, yep, it touched, you're good. Or no, it did not, no rep. So that's where it came from. And start of the open, we've actually seen that every single year in the open except for... 2020. So 20.5, I think everyone expected to see chest bar didn't come out. Um, we just had ring muscle-ups instead. So we certainly had other gymnastics like toes of bars have been in every single year. I've had some variation of a, of a muscle up every single year. So it's gone back and forth, but chest bar while being a staple actually wasn't in it this year, which is interesting. So let's get into it. Um, the outline 
in this episode, I'm going to be covering a few different topics. There's a lot that we could go into on this topic, but I'm trying to break it down in kind of segments here. So first, let's talk about chin over bar pull-ups, just kind of standard pull-up versus a chest bar. And not just like the difference, because obviously one's just higher than the other, but like how do you actually train to get better at chest bar, not just chin over bar? Because a lot of people can do chin over bar, but they struggle with chest bar. Why? So I'll cover that. I'll talk about building strict strength. So being able to actually develop the ability to be able to do strict pull-ups or strict chest bar. I'll talk about the, the different variations of kipping, basically gymnastics kip or butterfly. And then I'll talk about some different stages of learning. I'll hit each of these. A beginner who's basically going to be doing a gymnastics kip where the strengths is, is typically the limiter there intermediate athlete who's going to start to learn to do the butterfly kip and basically the limiters are just going to start to shift for them a little bit and obviously there's overlap in these categories and then lastly advanced where those limiters again are going to shift and i'll explain what they are and how to overcome them and basically those limiters are shifting to more global um, in other words like total body limiters in regards of where you're at, like whether you, you see yourself as a beginner, you're going to have a lot of benefit listening to the intermediate or advanced levels just because you'll kind of see outlining like where you're going to or hopefully going to go or where you can go with this thing. And same thing for advanced athletes, like it's super helpful to be like, oh yeah, like if I don't hammer the basics and kind of get back to drills and progressions and strength work regularly, and I'm just constantly kipping all the time and doing that, like I'm probably going to pay for that in the long run and mechanics are going to hurt and I'm just not going to be healthy long term. So there's, there's benefit to across the board listening to stages where you are not. All right. So jumping into it, let's talk about chin versus chest to bar, chin over bar versus chest to bar pull-ups. There's five different points I'm going to hit on as to why someone would be adequate or good enough at chin over bar or better at chin to bar versus chest to bar. And obviously, like there's a going to be a drop off between like the number of strict chin over bar versus chest to bar you could do or the number of kipping that you could do for each. Like there's going to be a, a normal drop off just because the chest to bar has a further range. No one can do as many muscle ups as they can chest to bar just because that range is so much bigger and you have to have more power. Same is true for chin versus chest. So let's go through it. The five points. First one being mobility. So a lot of people, especially who have done a lot of hypertrophy work for their chest and they have really tight so this is most oftenly guys who have done like lifting a commercial gym. They have really tight chest. They have a hard time getting that last couple of inches of range of motion to be able to actually retract their shoulders all the way, open up through their chest and be able to actually get their chest to touch the bar. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge for them. So just working on opening up the chest more. So mobility is kind of straightforward, like get that range. Two, next thing you can switch is grip width. So if you hold just maybe a fist width wider, that's going to help you out just because again, with moving your hands apart a little bit, it allows you to kind of move in between your hands with more ease. Um, and you can just kind of, there's a little bit less compression that goes on there, not just through the shoulder, but also actually through the elbow, which can be an issue for some people. So if you have someone who, again, if we go back to number one with mobility, if you have a hard time getting into a front rack position where like your elbows don't want to compress fully, and it's probably also some issue with the shoulder that's connected into that. But if you just have a, a hard time, maybe your uh, biceps aren't very pliable, like the soft tissue is just kind of rigid or you're, you're, that joint is just kind of you know, kind of balled up, then obviously that's not ideal. And you're going to have a really hard time compressing those tissues as you get to the top of the chest bar. So just moving a hair wider and the grip width will kind of spread everything out. Just kind of like the opposite of a bench press where like if you want to have a little bit more room in your bench press, just go hair wider. Like don't bench press and jerk grip. Three, practice. So a lot of people, they do chin over bar pull-ups all the time, but they don't do chest bar. And that's the reason why they're not as good. This was basically my problem. I could do a lot of chin over bar pull-ups, but I had a really hard time with chest to bar. Like I could probably do 30 strict pull-ups, but I 
probably couldn't even get 15 chest to bar pull up. It was like over two to one chin over bar to chest to bar, which is really bad ratio. So for me, it was just a matter of I wasn't able to control that range. So it was an issue with mobility, but it was also just like I, d- I didn't have the strength in that range because I was never there. It would be like if a power lifter only ever squatted to parallel and now they want to transfer to weightlifting, they're going to have to learn to control the bottom of that range and be able to kind of ride that bounce out of the bottom of the squat and be able to have all that mobility. And again, it's not just mobility, it's strength in those positions. There's a lot that goes with it. So I just call that practice, like reps essentially. So what I did in my scenario was I took one year and I did not do a pull-up. Every single time I did pull-ups, they were chest-to-bar. That went for strict, that went for, for kipping. If it was pull-ups in class, chin over bar pull-ups in class, I did chest-to-bar. That was what I did. And I got really good at chest-to-bar compared to the beginning of that year. Like my ratio between chin over bar to chest-to-bar improved dramatically because of that. So just practice it. Four, twist your wrist. So the top of the rep, you're going to bend your wrist. Think of it as like if you were revving a motorcycle, the opposite direction of that. So you're bending knuckles up on the bar, trying to get pinky knuckle over top of the bar. So it's just a more active hang. When you do that, especially at the top, it reduces the range of motion that you have to go. So it'll it'll reduce that range of motion by maybe, I don't know, an inch and a half or something like that. That over the course of many reps makes a really big difference. Five, this one is probably the most likely for everyone, is combination of one through four mobility grip with practice and twist your wrist again that was my case yes i'd practice more yes i had some mobility issues yes i changed my grip a little bit and yes i started practicing the technique and the timing part of that was twisting my wrist so i think for most people it is going to be a combination of those factors next let's talk about building strict strength so with strict strength Unlike weightlifting, where it's just an absolute number, like can you lift, um, say, 200 pounds and you're clean? Okay, cool, you could do it. The only way you're going to be able to actually lift more is if you put on more strength. That's just the way it goes. Whereas with gymnastics, anytime we're talking about a gymnastics movement, it always is strength to body weight ratio because you are the weight that you're moving. So there's two ways that we can go about this. Number one, we can get stronger. Number two, we could lose weight or specifically fat mass because that has no contractile potential, or we could do a combination of those two. So if we get stronger and we also improve body composition, that's awesome. If we shed 10 pounds of fat mass and now we're down to an acceptable, healthy fat range, then that's going to be ideal. If we go too far, now we're we're too low in body fat, then you start having a different issue if like your joint health goes down and you're not going to have hormone synthesis the the way that you would before. And there's just a lot of detriments to that. But obviously within a healthy range, trying to be lower in general is better. Most people at the CrossFit Games level are at a really low body fat, not just because of their activity, but that's what the sport demands. If it was helpful to have higher levels of body fat, you would see it on the games level, just like you see strong men have power gut. The other good news about potentially losing some weight to optimize your strength to body weight ratio is you just have better joint resiliency as a whole. So if you are a 180 pound female and you lose 30 pounds of fat mass and now you're at 150 pounds, your shoulders are going to feel way better when you go to do chest bars. Likely also your knees and ankles and all those tissues are going to feel much better too while you're doing running or double unders or like rebounding box jumps, things like that. So there's, there's different benefits here kind of across the board. And it's just something that you need to weigh. If you're someone who is 150 pound male and you want to go to the cross, games like sorry you're probably not gonna be able to to lose weight you need to just be putting on mass 
you just have to get stronger in your gymnastics while you're getting stronger at everything else. I think this is case by case basis, but that's something to certainly look into, like optimize your body size first before moving on. So if we're talking about strict pulling, and that's what we're talking about, building strict strength in CrossFit, there's a lot of vertical pulling. So like where your hands are above your head and you're pulling down, like just like you think of it, like a strict pull up, but there's a very little horizontal pulling. So a horizontal pull would be something like a ring row where your hands are out in front of you and you're pulling them into your chest. The really only two examples are ring row, which is that's pretty much always a scale, which I program that frequently for, for athletes just to give them more doses of horizontal pulling. But yeah, it's not a tested scale normally. And then also rowing would probably be about the only other one. And that's a dynamic one. So it's not strict necessarily. It will have some carryover and some benefit, but for the most part, that's not the case. So realize that pulling in general, strict pulling and pulling strength upper body pulling is a is a lacking area in this functional fitness space. Part of it is too because we're always kind of standing up or hanging from a bar and those are kind of the two things so it's it's really limited in that way. And when we're talking about strict pulling strength, if we're talking about and a strict chest bar, then it's a vertical pull. Whereas if they're doing kipping chest bar, now because they're going out behind the bar and kind of using that momentum, they're actually going to do basically a close down the shoulder like kind of a vertical pull with a straight arm and then they're going to do a horizontal row towards the bar. It does come up a little bit from the bottom, but it's definitely not straight vertical anymore. I think there's actually benefits to training both vertical and horizontal pulling. And we'll start off with uh, compound lifts and then we'll kind of break down some of the different uh, joints involved and how you can, again, optimize each of those. First of all, like the compound lifts, things like lat pull down, if your gym has machines, banded pull-ups are obviously like the one everyone goes to, but I would actually rather see people do partner assisted pull-ups if possible. So in other words, having someone actually help you through that range of motion and only providing as much assistance as you need. The thing with the band is that it doesn't provide much assistance at the top, whereas for most people, that's the hard part of the movement. You can easily kind of grind through the bottom part. And then once you kind of get past parallel with your elbows, 90 degrees with your elbows, then it gets really challenging. And a lot of people just aren't there yet. And then it gets really hard with a band to be able to get that end range and you have to use a heavier band and then the bottom of the movement doesn't get trained nearly as much as the top does. So I try to counter that sometimes with using a partner to do it. Unfortunately, not everyone's in that bucket, especially if you're working out side by side with people, but that's the way it goes. Also realize that if you're someone who's more of an advanced person listening to this, all the same things apply. Like you can do lat pull downs with 120% of your body weight if you need to, or you can do put weights around your waist or uh, wear a vest as you do these things as well, or just make it for the range of motion, like do a chest bar. Um, you can always add pauses and tempos to make this more challenging. And then if we go to horizontal rowing, obviously the ring row that I already talked about, like a barbell bent over row, where you're not heaving the weight, you're kind of being a little bit more strict controlled with it. Chest supported rows are a personal favorite. And again, sometimes you have to just makeshift that if you're in a, in a box for the most part. You can do single arm or double arm dumbbell rows. All right, let's start to break down each of these individual muscle groups then. So if we talk about the lats, the main thing with the lat in the strict pull-up, it's actually going to assist a lot in kind of the entire range. Whereas in the kipping variations, it's more so in the in the bottom half of the movement while the arms are straight and it's closing down the shoulder joint. So if we think about that and we're trying to build towards sports specificity, and let's just go that route for now, we can do things again that with a straight arm that close down that shoulder joint like lat rows, like alpha rollouts, like dumbbell pullovers, lat activations hanging from the bar hanging hollow pulses on the bar, things like that. Biceps. So basically elbow flexion, and we have to be both in a concentric and eccentric environment. So basically lifting and lowering the, the biceps take a lot of abuse in the lowering phase, especially in the chest bar, especially in the butterfly. And then curls where you're both pronated and supinated. So think palms up and palms down. You can think supinated, holding a bowl of soup, palms are facing up. 
So here we can do, again, a variety of things. Barbell curls. I mean, this is basically going to be all curl variations. Palm up, palm down. We can do dumbbell curls, hammer curls, where the thumbs are up as you're, as you're moving through. We can do it with bands. And again, these are all just different things that we can kind of throw in for a little bit of variance as we're going through. Then we'll talk about the grip. So there's kind of two categories of grip training that I would talk about. And oftentimes people cite their grip as being a limiter or people think that they don't have the strength, but it's really a grip limiter and they're just feeling that they're falling off. So they drop down, even though they could kind of handle higher volumes. If their grip could tolerate that, they have the lat and bicep strength and uh, strength and endurance to be able to continue to go. So if grip is a limiter, two different categories, tonic grip. So think about just like grabbing and holding something. And grip, regrip, where you are now moving through these ranges and loosening your grip at times and then regrabbing on, like you'd be doing if you're doing uh, kipping pull ups. So, tonic grip first, we can think of things like dead hangs, where you're just hanging onto the bar, holding it, and everything's pretty much relaxed except your grip. And that's the goal. We do farmer's carries, same thing. You're just holding that weight the whole time, walking around with it. If you do like 35 pounds for females, 50 pounds for males per hand, and you like do that for 200 meters, your, your grip's going to be fried. Um, we can also do things like double overhand deadlifts. So no hip hook grip, no mixed grip, or even like fat bar deadlifts or using fat grips. Something to look into if you haven't heard, heard of those. I used to use those in wrestling a lot and they're, they're pretty cool. We're just simply plate pinches. So literally thumbs on one side of a plate, just like a bumper plate, fingers, the four fingers are on the other side and you're just pinching that and holding it. And you can do it just like farmer's carries, like walk around with it. Let's move on to grip, regrip. So we can think of like touch and go barbell work as a really good example of this. So we can get like sports specific work in here. It doesn't have to all be accessory stuff. So if you're doing touch and go snatches, that's historically going to blow up your grip. Even things like double unders can really blow up your grip if you're not used to it. Obviously, rope climbs are a good one. And that actually hits clock grip as well, which is not necessarily for barbell work, whether it's a bar or like a pull-up bar, but it's certainly a good kind of prehab, post-hab exercise as well at clock grip. We can think about sports specificity with toes to bar, Russian kettlebell swings versus American. So if you just come up to eye level, there's going to get more reps in less time and it's going to put more emphasis on the grip versus your shoulders. And next, I'll talk about a few similarities between the gymnastic kip and the butterfly kip. So for one, the feet always stay opposite of the hands. So if the hands are in front of the bar, the feet are behind the bar and vice versa. So these will actually be constantly trading places based on if you're the top or the bottom of the rep. A good rule of thumb is always think, okay, my feet have to be opposite of my hand. And if my toes are out in front, my shoulders need to be back and vice versa. And what this allows for is number two here for the center of mass, your center of mass to stay underneath the bar. You want your center of mass to never move it like it'll move kind of up and down, obviously, because you have to move up and down. But for the most part, your center of mass isn't going to move forward and back as you do a kipping pull up. You want your center of mass to look exactly the same if you were doing strict versus kipping. So it's just going to kind of stay underneath the bar and you're going to go up and down realize that for all these variations, when you do your first rep, you're going to stand directly under the bar when you jump up to do your first rep. Whereas toes to bar, you might be six inches behind. If you're doing a bar muscle up, you might be 12 or 18 inches behind based on how tall you are and how high the bar is. But for chest to bar, just standard pull-ups, you need to start underneath the bar when you jump up. And then last similarity here is that the concentric or upward portion is going to look the same on both the gymnastics kip and the butterfly kip. So when you're actually raising up, how you're going behind the bar, pulling with straight arms, closing down the shoulder joint, getting height with your hips, and then starting to actually pull towards the bar, that's going to look very similar in both of them. Not identical, but very similar. That's basically where the similarities in those two lie. So let's get into the three levels then for the beginner. I'm defining a beginner as someone who has less than four to five strict chest to bar and less than, let's say, 10 to 12 kipping chest to bar. 
this is actually where the vast majority of athletes are going to be. And quite a few athletes are never actually going to move out of this space. And that's fine. That's just the reality of it. So I'm not like breaking down these three categories as this is where one third, one third, and one third of the population are. That's not necessarily what I'm doing at all. It's just more so based on someone's limiters. So most people are going to be always be dealing with a strength limiter for pull-ups, which is fine. That's the way it is. But just realize that that's how I'm breaking down these. It's not necessarily even demographics. So for the beginner, most of their time is going to be dedicated to building strict strength. So yes, they're going to spend some time learning kipping progressions, but if you don't have the strength, there's no point in trying to learn to kip. It's just unsafe one and just not going to be effective and kind of a waste of your time too. When a beginner learns kipping pull-ups, the whole point of that is to start to learn through how your strength work is going to be then carrying over to this new skill of kipping. They're not the same movement. So you have to understand like, oh, this is what it feels like to have my lats on stretch and to be kind of moving through these different ranges, to be able to pull with straight arms. Okay, that's what I need to be feeling when I'm doing my lat rows and you know all these different accessory exercises, understanding where they actually need to go. So besides all the strict strength recommendations that I'm maybe for, some things that'll help you in terms of actually learning the skill to do a gymnastics kip chest bar. So let's talk about gymnastics kip because we already talked about strict strength. The gymnastics kip, a few drills, progressions that are going to be helpful. I think number one, just the beat kip. So going back between hollow and arch and really just hammering those positions, hollow pulses hang from the bar, arch pulses hang from the bar, just using like relatively strict pulls with just like a really small kind of lat kip. I found that particularly helpful when I was learning these. Box drills are super helpful where you put one foot on the box and you kind of are able to control the speed. You can actually slow down the reps, which you can't really normally do for kipping pull-ups. And you can kind of hit those positions and make sure your feet are always opposite of your your shoulders and so on. Uh, So those have been super helpful. And then just making sure that you're doing kipping pull-ups in unfatigued environments. So not allowing yourself to kind of do it in a rounds for time sort of environment or an AMRAP keeping things simple rather than complex and making sure that fatigue stays low. Limiters for beginner athlete are going to be strength, number one, just simply strict pulling strength, and then two, technique breakdown. So the kip will break down, the timing and coordination will get thrown off, your center of mass will start kind of making like a pendulum instead of going up and down. Next is an intermediate athlete. I'm defining this as someone who has eight to 10 strict chest bar or 20 or more kipping chest bar. And this is where someone can start to learn to do, go through the progressions and do the butterfly. And you're going to go through all the same progressions that you did for the gymnastics kip, but now you're starting to, again, trace circles through space with your shoulders versus make C's. And the whole point here is that the gymnastics kip is just slightly slower than the butterfly kip. And that's why you can just get more reps in less time, but it's not helpful to kind of skip those steps because number one, like your shoulders in a much more compromised position when you're doing butterfly pull-ups. But two, you can't use that stretch reflex nearly as much. So if you're someone who doesn't have the strength to be able to do that, and you don't have that strict pulling rep max of at least eight to 10, I would say is probably a good baseline. Then there's really no point in trying to learn to do the butterfly because you're just going to break down too quickly. And it's not going to be something that you want to default to. So limitations for the intermediate athlete, it's going to shift from strength to strength endurance. So basically you repeat strength ability. Very similar to to the movement density I talked about in last episode. So this can show up, the strength endurance limiter can show up in a number of different ways. It could show up as just a pump where your your lats blow up or biceps blow up. So venous occlusion. So you, you can't actually get blood flow out of the muscle. You create too much tension that the blood occludes, shuts off the vein to be able to flush that blood out. So that's where you get that really big pump is because there's blood pulling in that muscle. 
And then the other way it'll show up is with the breakdown in the kip, where really this would just be someone getting tired and sort of sloppy in their positions, and it just doesn't look rhythmic and easy like it should. So how do you overcome these specific limiters? Number one, at this stage, I always want this athlete to be doing whatever strength work or kind of interval work they're doing with respects to time and the rest time specifically. So it's always thinking about things in a work to rest ratio sort of environment. So uh, the most simple example of this would just be an EMOM, right? Where it's, okay, I know someone does three strict pull-ups every minute on the minute. They're basically going to be resting for 55 seconds, something like that. So they're going to rest the vast majority of that time. That's a really low work to rest ratio. I mean, you can just start to build that out. Whereas every 30 seconds, every 90 seconds, every two minutes, just kind of creating the work rest environment that you want. Or just another way to do that would be like, okay, hit six sets of three pull-ups and rest 60 seconds between where you're just controlling the amount of rest time that person actually has. And even if that stays at six sets of three for the next six weeks, they might go from 60 seconds to 50 seconds to 40 seconds to 30 seconds. So basically these are all just kind of linear periodization techniques where you are really controlling the environment. It's not like one week they're doing six rounds per time of this, this, and this, and the next week they're doing something completely different and it's novel every single week. You don't want that. Person's not there yet. So you need to give them very selected, moderated doses in these different things. Randomness is not going to work for them. So that's number one. It's just making sure you control work rest. Number two is making sure that you ride the line of fatigue correctly. So not being too fatigued where you're getting into that sloppy, tired, and your movement quality is really poor and you're breaking down. Obviously, that's way too tired. But also, if you're doing it where you're not having that fatigue actually accumulate, then you're actually not going to be addressing the limiters of strength endurance. Now, you're working basically strength because it's in a really low fatigue environment. If you work strength endurance, you have to have both couplets there of strength and enduring. And if you're doing something enduring, it needs to be sustainable. And if it needs to be sustainable, so you guys get the idea. That's where we're headed with this progression. All right, so let's talk about the advanced athletes. So this would be an athlete that I'm defining as at least 15 strict chest bar pull-ups and they have more than 40 kipping chest bar pull-ups. This is every single CrossFit Games athlete out there. I don't think anyone can probably get to that level without having this. So for this athlete, they have really consistent techniques. So even with like very limited doses, they could jump up on a bar if they're warmed up and hit nice big sets and it's not gonna break down. Their technique is just consistent. It's no different than someone who's weightlifting and their snatch looks the same every single time they snatch. For this athlete, when they do kipping chest bar pull-ups, it's going to be butterfly every single time and it's going to look smooth and technique is going to be on point every single time. The athlete might not feel that way. Like sometimes you're like, yeah, you know what? The timing is just a little bit off, but as an outsider watching, you wouldn't really be able to pick up on it. It's that nuance that they can sense all those tiny deviations, but you can't really perceive it while watching them. So this athlete also has great muscular strength and they could likely do like a strict chest bar with at least maybe half their body weight strapped to them, at least I would say. And they also have really good muscular endurance. So muscular endurance isn't just about repeatability of actually being able to do the movement, but also be able to flush very quickly. So they, once they drop down from a set to be able to clear out that fatigue and be able to hit another big set afterwards quicker, they're really good at that. Essentially movement density battery, if it was a weightlifting, that idea. And this athlete is going to be dealing with a different set of limiters. They're going to be dealing with limiters in density. So it's kind of the same venous occlusion muscle pump that the, the intermediate athlete has, but it's only going to show up for them when they do, you know, two or three times as many reps in a single go, or when it's just really packed and really dense work, or they have interfering movements. So they're doing like ski ergs and chest to bar. And okay, of course that's going to blow you up a little bit more. 
this athlete's limiter gets a lot more confusing because again, it has multiple layers to it. So they could have one, an issue with uh, a muscle pump, but it could also be sort of a, a nervous system response issue where they're getting really sympathetic, think fight or flight, because they're having to basically breathe super quickly. So a one-to-one breath to rep ratio is really the only thing that works for pull-ups or chest-to-bar. And for most athletes, it's gonna be right around one rep per second. If they continually did chest bar for a minute, it would take them 60 seconds to do 60 chest bar. And that means that they did 60 breaths in that minute. Their ventilation rate is 60, which is crazy high. Even if you're super tired, you don't typically breathe that fast. So what that means is they're hyperventilating, which will put them into a fight or flight response. And sometimes that causes venous occlusion on its own, where they're shutting down blood flow to certain areas because they're getting so jacked up, so to speak. And then more than likely, it's just going to be a combination of a bunch of these different factors. And sometimes they're indistinguishable where you don't really know if someone's dealing with a nervous system response issue versus a density issue versus more of a fueling issue where they got a ton of lactate buildup. So that's, they're having to deal with that and try to move through um, metabolic pain. And it gets more complicated and you have to be a lot more nuanced in how you go about this. So let's give you a couple of protocols or examples of things that an advanced athlete might do to improve some of their limiters. So say an athlete is always has hard time when they have interfering movements where, for example, this year in the open, it was um, ring muscle ups and rowing. So those are interfering movements where they're both blowing up the lats and the biceps, and those are both pulling movements. So that's going to be a limiter. You can just start to incorporate more intervals in couplets and things like that, where the movements are just having interference. So it could be rowing and chest to bar. It could be skier and bar muscle up. It could be GHDs and chest to bar because it's the exact same musculature that's being used and doesn't have to be pulling. It could be abs or midline or breathing or any, any number of issues. Two, let's say it's high heart rate and high respiratory rate, and that's what's preventing them from being able to jump up and hit a big set of chest bar. So we could have them do 15 cal assault bike sprint and then 15 unbroken chest bar every three minutes for six intervals, which would be a higher level athlete type deal. And that would be something that a lot of athletes would handle with actually no problem at all. Um, they'd probably need a little bit more solid dosage to be actually be able to get a really good response from that, especially in terms of the air bike sprints, just because they'll get that done in less than 15 seconds. So it's not a, a ton of fatigue accumulating there. It could be something like, you know, a thousand meter row at your 2K pace and then a, a max unbroken set. And you repeat that three times with one to one work rest. Something like that would be extremely effective. And then lastly, if it's an issue with breathing or state, this becomes a little bit more complicated, but just being able to have that athlete start to be able to downregulate outside of competitive settings, where if it's even just like in their car throughout their day, just being able to hit more parasympathetic breathwork protocols and then be able to incorporate things like centering breaths before they go to two hard intervals and maybe some nasal breathing during warmups and things like that. And that's pretty much all I have to say about chest bar pull-ups. So uh, reach out if you ever got any questions about training. I love talking to you guys. And I hope this was helpful on your journey towards mastering chest bar pull-ups. Hey, it's Ben again. And I want to talk to you for a minute about one of my programs that I offer on sorefitness.com. It's called Gymnastics Density for the Big Five. So hopefully by the end of this show, you're well aware of what Gymnastics Density is but what's the big five? The big five is the five most important five most commonly tested gymnastics movements. One, muscle ups, both bar and ring. Two, handstand pushups. Three, handstand walks. Four, chest to bar. And five, toes to bar. 
If you're a person who claims to be a competitor in the sport of fitness, but you aren't adept at producing gymnastic density, you will not reach your potential in the competitive space. And it is exactly why I wrote this program is for the people who want to upgrade their gymnastics performance. To learn more about the program, go to zorfitness.com store or simply Google gymnastics density program. 